Morning, church. The Bible readings this morning come from the Gospel of John, and I'm starting at chapter 18, um, verse 28, and reading through to 19, verse 7. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfil what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they slapped him on the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, we're continuing on reading. My name's Melanie. We're reading from John 19, now verse 8. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you know I have power either to free you or to crucify you? 
Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore the one who handed you over to me is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out, sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of the preparation of the Passover, and it was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus and carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, don't write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I've written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty.
a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the word of God. Good morning. Now, there are more of you in this building than that. I need a much bigger sound. Good morning. That sounds better. My name's Andrew. I'm a member of staff. I'll be preaching from the passage from John that we've uh, had read for us this morning. But I want to start with a question. Who rules you? You might have had this experience even this morning. You've been speaking to your three or four-year-old and saying the same thing over and over again and trying to hurry and maybe get to church close on time. And your child looks at you and says, you're not the boss of me. (laughs) I've had that experience and it's kind of like the response is, hmm, I'm not so sure about that. Or maybe you've had the experience where your mum was telling you repeatedly to do something and something was kind of stirring up in you, your six-year-old or your seven-year-old or your eight-year-old self and you got it into your little mind that you would just tell her to shut up. Well, I did that once to my mum. As I was running out the laundry door and then doing laps around the backyard until she caught me and reminded me that indeed she did rule as she washed my mouth out with soap. But who rules over you? Um, I had the privilege recently of accompanying a friend to the ACT Magistrates Court and the tone was very sombre there. And it was very, very hard to hear because the magistrate himself would talk in a really hushed way so that only the lawyers and the people involved would be able to hear. And it became very clear to me as that process continued, and I was just a witness to it, that we were going to let this guy rule over us. Now, the coronation of a monarch, which we're kind of getting ready for because it will actually affect us shortly, clarifies who rules. And in the case of the coronation of a British monarch, it kind of works like this. The Archbishop of Canterbury says, Charles rules. And Charles will say to all of us, I rule. And then the people will say back to the king, you rule. And whether you are actually watching the coronation service that's coming shortly or not, the question will be, who rules you? Does Charles rule over you? Do you rule over you? Today, what God is saying through John is this. Jesus is God's king who rules over sin, over death, over us, for us. And while it looks like an actually a a violent overthrow and a dethroning, John is very, very clear, and here's my key verse for today, John chapter 19, verse 19, that over Jesus' cross is written this. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And what we're going to see is he is the one God promised to die for our sins, 
taking God's punishment for our self-rule so that we would not have to. This is actually the triumph. This is Jesus' crowning moment. This is the coronation of the king. Will you let him rule over you? That's the question. Please join me. Let's pray. We need God's help as we come to this. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have made it super, super clear that Jesus of Nazareth is your king and he's ours too. And we pray, Father, that we'd not only see it, but that we'd believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. In the coronation service of the British monarch, it's a tradition that stretches back over a thousand years. I couldn't believe it when I was doing a little bit of research. There is a continuity of a thousand years. And there are two key initial phases in the coronation service, the recognition and the oath. The sovereign enters Westminster Abbey wearing a crimson velvet robe of state. And the Archbishop of Canterbury says to everybody present, he says to the people, he calls for recognition in these words. All you who have come this day to do your homage and service, that is to pay special honour and respect, are you willing to do this? That is to honour this person as your king, to respect and serve this person as your monarch. And in the case of Charles, all the people present will say, God save King Charles, as a way of saying yes. But here, in what John writes and what Jesus does, in this crowning moment, there is no recognition, but only rejection. And I want to kind of deal with that first in three ways. But the first of those ways is looking through the soldiers' eyes at Jesus. Because in the eyes of the soldiers, Jesus is only a costume king. I'm going to reread for us John chapter 19, verses 1 to 3. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. And as someone in my life group this week, um, a smaller kind of number of God's people here at St. Matthew's gathering together to read the Bible together. And we looked at this passage. They said, this seems like an evil, humiliating play within God's larger drama. Just this, this moment that I've just read for us. And I can fully understand why the soldiers would behave like this. They're just absolutely unloading the tension and the pressure of being occupying forces, hated by pretty well everyone around them, trained to be killers and just pent up. And so they humiliate a defenceless victim. This is their moment, actually, to just to let it all out. And they say this, the only way that Jesus could be a king is if he plays dress-ups. He does wear a crown, but it's one that they've made, like Phil pointed out, of thorns. It's a crown of a suffering king, actually. He does have a royal robe, but of a humiliated pretender, at least as far as the soldiers are concerned. He is the king of the Jews but only as a joke. And as far as the soldiers are concerned, Jesus is a costume king. He does not rule. But who is he? Because John wants to write this down. He wants us to know. And the question for us is, as we look on today, who is Jesus? Will he rule over you? And then we come to Pilate. As far as Pilate's concerned, Jesus is a political failure. And I'm thinking here of verses 4 to 6. 
Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to him, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. The Pilate is the representative of Caesar. In this moment, Emperor Tiberius. So when you look at Pilate, you see Rome. And when you look at Pilate, you say, Rome rules. Caesar is king. And while I think it's actually an interesting thing to reflect on, is Pilate really convinced that Jesus is not a king? Maybe he is convinced that Jesus is a king. At any rate, Pilate is pointing out Jesus' failure because Pilate decides over Jesus. He simply says in this moment, here's the man. No title, no royal introduction, no respect really. And so Pilate will allow Roman power to confirm that Jesus is a political failure. Jesus will be crucified. This is the ultimate disempowering by the Roman Empire of anyone who opposed it publicly so that the suffering, agonised, tortured body would be the advertisement that round here, Caesar actually rules. And I I wanted to to think through... some famous historic examples of what it would look like for um, pretenders to the throne to be punished. But you know what? I feel like what we've read today and what we're looking at is more than enough. (laughs) Because the Romans are basically saying, look at the scoreboard. And the scoreboard is the cross. That's who rules around here. So Pilate is saying that Jesus is a political failure. The power of Rome trumps him. But who do you say... Jesus is. And thirdly and lastly, just in this section, the religious leaders say that Jesus is a religious fake. And this is perhaps the most awful moment of it all, I think. John chapter 19, verses 6 and 7. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law... And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. In this moment, the Jewish religious leaders rule over him. They've rejected Jesus. They organised his arrest. They handed him over to Caesar's representative, Pilate. And they've said things like this. When Pilate previously has said also, I find no charge against him. And they say, look, if he wasn't a criminal, we never would have brought him to you. And then when there's a chance of an official prisoner exchange, they say, no, 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 we want the certified criminal Barabbas. You keep Jesus, we'll take the criminal Barabbas. And then they say their biggest accusation is that he claimed to be the son of God. So this is really, really large in what they're saying because they're saying this goes against the word of God. It's worse than being a fake. He's a heretic. He's a blasphemer. He's saying things against God and he's putting himself in God's place. He's worthy of death. So let me just kind of maybe pause for a moment to explain um, why that accusation of son of God is so important because it's got two aspects to it. The son of God was going to be the earthly heir of King David on the eternal throne of Israel. 
But on the God side, it has divine overtones of being God himself. And the religious leaders are saying, this is such a massive thing that Jesus is kind of letting himself be. He's a religious fake. He's worthy of death. He does not rule. But a curious thing at this point is this. Jesus does not take the exit door. Someone else in our life group pointed this out. How many times are there? Six, seven times where Jesus could have easily said, look, I'm sorry, I was only joking. I'll leave you to it. I'm out of here. Sorry for causing any trouble. Never does it. And so that raises the question, doesn't it? Who is Jesus according to Jesus? Because as far as John is concerned, because as far as Jesus is concerned, this is his crowning moment from which he does not run. Remember verse 19, above the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. He's certainly earthly connected. Jesus of Nazareth, a real man, real time, real place. My mother's just been on a trip to Israel, went to Nazareth. It's a real place. Others have testified that Jesus was a real person in that place. But he's heaven sent, King of the Jews, as Pilate wrote, not claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate says, is king of the Jews. And that's what we're meant to see. So John doesn't prolong his account of Jesus' unlawful arrest. John doesn't make a big deal of this dodgy trial. He doesn't just go on and on about the horrific torture and anguished death to spice up the end of the story and sell more copies. But he's saying this, look, look. Look, are you looking? Understand who Jesus is. Look at Jesus. He is dying as the king of the Jews because he is the king of the Jews who dies for you. It's not just a good story. It's a true story. And I want to give you three reasons to reflect on that actually back this up. The first is this. Jesus is... The promised king. In chapter 18, verse 32, we hear, we hear this. This took place, that is, the Jews not wanting to do the executing. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. So Jesus is the promised king according to his own promise, firstly. Secondly, it's not a self-fulfilling death wish, because this thing goes down even to the division of clothing, as God said hundreds of years before and recorded for us in Psalm chapter 22. Another excellent observation in our life group on Monday night. Someone said, why does John bother with Jesus' underwear? Why does that make it into the story? Have a listen to this. John chapter 19, verse 24. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Do you understand? <laughs> 
hundreds of years before. This is what's happening as Jesus dies hanging on the cross. He's got no control of what the soldiers do, apparently, with his underwear. But what they do is happening exactly as God had said. And lastly, Jesus says to Pilate, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. So in this moment that looks so out of control, where Jesus seems to be so under the foot of absolutely everybody, God's universal plan has been perfectly worked out. Shakespeare said, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances. But here, Jesus is not being played. He is the playwright in this drama. He's the director. This is God's king as God promised. Now, they don't get it in the moment. Every single person in their little view of Jesus at this point in time, they don't get it. But we have the privilege this morning of seeing the whole plan. With the question that God is asking us, Jesus said he's God's promised king. But who do you say that Jesus is? Second, Jesus is God's universal king. I'm going to read from chapter 18, 36 to 37. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus is bigger than any earthly conception of a king. He's actually the king of the universe. Otherworldly. He says how the universe works and and here's why. It works as he says it does. He says what is right and wrong. He divides the universe and he divides people. Because either you're on the side of truth, his, or you're against him, believing what is false and living a lie. Jesus is the guiding principle over all. He is God's otherworldly universal king. Pilate looks Jesus in the face, but he cannot see the truth. And in fact, he runs from it. What is truth? But who do you say Jesus is? Because your answer ultimately determines your eternity. (laughs) You'll either be with him or against him. You'll be with him or separated from God forever. But in case that's starting to sound really drastic, I've got one more point to make. Jesus is the king for us. He is so for us. John chapter 19, verses 1 to 2. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. You see, Jesus continues to submit to this, the cross, because he knows we need him in our place. And this is what he's previously said. Have a listen. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness in a time when God's people needed rescue, and if they would look at that thing that Moses was holding, they would be saved, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That's what's happening at the cross, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So the implication there is that without Jesus, there is perishing. Without Jesus, there is no eternal life. But Jesus has come so that there might be life forever with God. And it just underlines and reminds us that this is the crowning moment. This is where Jesus submits himself as the innocent king to the perishing. He submits himself to the judgment of death to take the punishment of our sin. He doesn't run from it, but he takes it upon himself. So what is this thing called sin and why is it so serious? Let me give you a bit of a, a, bit of a banal example. Um, I heard these words from a newly licensed driver who said this after their first unaccompanied drive. I realised that I could turn wherever I like. That's after 100 hours at least of being told, turn right, turn left, stop, change gear. <laughs> and at that corner near our house, I could go really fast. Remember, that's my car that you're driving. But this is how we treat God. This is what sin is like. It's his world. It's his word. It's his way. But we turn our own way. And we go the way that we like. And we decide the rules. And we decide the speed. And we decide the direction. But it really changes nothing because God's the creator of the road. <laughs> He's the creator of the world. He's the maker of the rules. He knows how it works best and what's best for us. It's his road and his rule. And we turn away from him, but we'll still fail the test. Just like the assessor on so many first attempts at a driver license will fail the person who even just goes one kilometre an hour over the speed limit. That's enough. And God says, the consequence for you doing that to me is death and judgment. And you know how serious it is? Just take a look at the cross. You know how real this is? Just take a look at what Jesus is doing. You know how much sin must be punished? Jesus is taking it. You know how much death and judgment are real? It's there. But Jesus takes it for us. It's like this. Imagine this is the book of your life. And everything you have ever done and ever thought is in there. I don't know about you, but I'd be absolutely ashamed if, if that was collected there. And, and God will open it and judge you accordingly. But what happens is that blocks your relationship with him. Because sinners can't live in paradise. There can't be any relationship with the holy God when people are breaking his law. He says it doesn't work that way. But this is what happens at the cross. Jesus hangs dying there to take that on him to ruin his perfect relationship with God so he can restore ours. That is what's going on at the cross. That is Jesus, the king for us. Here's the oath that King Charles will swear at his coronation or a version of it. Will you to your power cause law and justice in mercy to be executed in all your judgments? That's what Jesus is doing at the cross. <laughs> Justice, because the punishment falls on him. Mercy, because he takes it. Will you, to the utmost of your power, maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel? Hopefully, Charles will say yes, but he can't do it. 
He is human and sinful like you and me. Jesus has done it for us. The king for us in our place. And that's why he stays there. It's finished. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, for you and for me. So here's the conclusion. Who do you say Jesus is? Now, today, you still might be sceptical. You might have only stumped up here because your family invited you and you're doing them a favour to keep peace over the Easter weekend. Thank you for coming. You have loved your family. (laughs) If you are still sceptical, press on and be informed by what Jesus says and, and what's recorded in the Bible. But you might be curious And maybe you did come just to keep the family happy or your friend happy or your neighbour happy, but it's more than just keeping the peace. You're thinking maybe there's something to this. Grab a copy of the Bible. Read the Gospel of John from start to finish to get the full story and ask the questions you've got. But you might find yourself this morning being convinced. You might not be saying anymore, Who made you the boss of me? You might not be saying anymore to God, shut up. You might be realising that the magistrate in the court of the universe is actually Jesus. Not only have you got business to do with him, but he is the God of mercy who has taken your sin on him. Jesus of Nazareth, God's promised king who dies for you. And if that's you... I've got a prayer that you can pray. Let me read it out, and I'm going to pray it again in a moment, and you might like to repeat it silently in your heart to God. This is the prayer. God, sorry for ruling myself. I now see Jesus is king, dying to take my punishment. I trust in him. Please forgive me. Help me to live under Jesus' rule. Amen. Maybe you've prayed this prayer once upon a time. You'd just like to recommit yourself to it. Please do. Maybe this is the first time. Please pray it. But just do that in the silence of your own heart as I leave space line by line for you to do that. Please join me and let's pray. Oh God, I'm sorry for ruling myself. I now see Jesus is king. I now see he died to take my punishment. I trust in him. Please forgive me. Help me to live under Jesus' rule. Amen.